You're with Cape Talk. When a very honored guest walks in in the morning and says, um, thank you for having me. And it's actually our honor and pleasure to have our next guest in the studio with us this morning. And uh, she's interviewed presidents, leaders, historical icons, global CEOs, sporting heroes over her career. Uh, and she she used to use every particular conversation as a learning experience. Also, uh, most powerful and interesting and dynamic uh, about their successes and failures. Never wanted to to ask the the difficult questions, and it's always um, you know a fantastic uh, honor to have in studio with us this morning. Uh, very very uh, famous and very popular anchor from CNN or ex anchor from CNN, shall I say? Now, Robin Robin Kerno is uh, in studio with us this morning. Robin, a very good morning to you, and welcome to Cape Talk. And again, thank you so much for having me. It's just absolutely wonderful being here. You call yourself an Afro-optimist. Um, what, what do you mean by an Afro-optimist? I mean, this, this continent of ours is, has got so much to offer. You, you covered um, the African continent for CNN for about eight years. Yeah, I did. And, and I think the beauty of being home and being present right here now, it, it's about the small things. So, yes, I, I have a great love of people. And that's what a journalist is. You're curious about what people say and why they do things and what they think. And there's just so much here on the African continent and in South Africa, of course, where, where you can learn from everybody. And I think that's something that there's an authenticity, as, as one of my friends likes to describe it, that you don't find perhaps in America. And there's also a sense of humor here, which is about optimism and about um, looking forward and even in the darkest days of say COVID or load shedding and all of that stuff, um, there is a sense of resilience and optimism about the future that I think is, is really contagious and certainly feels like home. Mm. We do have that sense of humor because if you look at the, the, the new, um, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur's jersey, it says, uh, load shedding stage one, stage two, <laughs> stage three, stage four. So yes, we, we have that, that, uh, you know, that, that sort of idea of, of turning everything, even in our yeah. darkest day, yeah. into something that we love. Chat to us about your career before you actually joined CNN. Um, and that's also an, an example of why I am so rooted to this, to this place. I started at the SABC. I was 22, 1995. Um, and I was one of those new faces who perhaps wasn't untainted, wasn't tainted by the past. And I, I grew up learning about this country during Mandela's presidency. And I think that taught me so much. Watching him being part, yes, it was very idealistic. We had a very hopeful sense of the future. I know uh, that so much has changed and, and, and perhaps those ideals are not there anymore. But being there and helping to shape the conversations um, for the 8 o'clock news, but also for all the other news bulletins, because in those days, and I think it's still very much at the SABC, you know, I'd go out, out and do a story and you would have to – know that your 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 content would be translated and also broadcast on all the the 11 languages radio stations and tv so you had to be able to tell the story of bridging differences as madiba used to say um in in your 2 minute report so it really gave me a sense of of how to connect with people so that you when you did a report it was relevant to you know a white lady in constantia as much as a vendor lady sitting in toyando Mm. I think you're, you, 
you're very pertinent when you say, you know, it's it's wonderful to interview Nelson Mandela and to interview Michelle Obama. Mm. But it's the ordinary people who oh, tell the narrative, isn't it? I agree. Uh, and, you know, that's the thing. I'm not, I'm not in the least bit starstruck. And I think that helps. Maybe that's my South Africanness. Um, but I think I like to watch people. And that's the beauty of being a journalist, the old school, perhaps, way of being a journalist, mm. where you sit on the fence and you're an outsider looking in and you can watch people's behaviors and you can try and understand their intentions. And that, for me, has always been a very creative process. And I, I've done that with George W. Bush or Donald Trump. And I've done it with, like I said, you know, people in, in Toyando or in KwaZulu-Natal, just in the same way. And I certainly get more from some gogo than I do from Donald Trump, I can tell you that. <laughs> Chatting this morning to Robin Kerno and Life After CNN, uh, 0214460567 or on the WhatsApp line on 072567 if you'd love to join the conversation. What, does, what are the years like working for CNN? I mean, this is a global, international mm. market that, you, that you're dealing with. And how, how does it lift you from where you are you know, on the African continent? Or how does it lift you from where you were at the SABC? Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a big mind shift, isn't it? For me, it was not, because I think I've been exactly the same journalist that I was when I was a fresh-faced 22-year-old on the 8 o'clock news in the early 90s. I think I'm still that same person. I think I've grown a lot in terms of understanding the world, the geopolitics, but, you know, I'm a South African. I'm straight-talking, resilient, and, and, and I see things through a prism that I think is built on our diversity. So working for CNN... Um, was just a huge responsibility, particularly when I was the Africa correspondent here. Um, it was very much about trying to portray Africa, South Africa to the world in a way that was honest and truthful and relevant. And a lot of that time I spent living in Pretoria because of the Oscar Pistorius trial and also Madiba was getting, was sick and those were the last years of his life. So it was very much a conversation in those last few years of when I was the Africa correspondent here about Pistorius and about Mandela and each of them managed to embody very, very real South African stories. And that was really, really, really important and powerful. And I was really honored to be there to be able to translate it in a deep way rather than some foreign correspondent coming here, helicoptering and trying to sort of fathom what was going on. Mm. With the recent discussion this week, which has been the highlight about the uh, 1 billion rand that's being spent Mm. by the Department of Tourism and everything around it, there were sort of two sides to this particular story. The one side was saying uh, we're wasting money and we shouldn't be wasting this money. And uh, and obviously the other side was saying, please understand, this comes out of the budget of the tourism Department. It doesn't come out of uh, ESCOM's budget. So we can't take a billion rand and give it to ESCOM uh, from the tourism side and things like that. And, and, and this is, this has actually become the difficult part of it all because a number of people were saying, spend the billion rand, crunch the numbers. We will get the traction out of this. Do we sometimes feel like, for instance, South Africa and Africa is, is not a great destination or are we underselling ourselves? That's a hard question because I'll be honest with you, I have not been following the news. After I left (laughs) CNN, I took Twitter off my phone and I thought I'd um, try and load it on my Mm. phone this morning to try and, yes, to try and, and I I forgot my password. I'm I'm looking at the the perception Mm. of Africa 
not the perception of Africa from the United States side, mm-hmm. because there's been a lot of interest over the last, what, 10 years, maybe 15 years in terms of Africa and the opportunities that are available in Africa. But I'm trying to look at it in terms of us as, as Africans. Are, are, we, are we not short selling ourselves? I don't know. Um, and, I, and I don't know if I can answer that question because I haven't been part of this conversation and debate. What I do know is that in America, for example, where I, where I've certainly been very much part of the media landscape there and try, and very much also trying to understand the political motivations of Americans during a very, very tumultuous time. And in, if you look broadly at the world right now, there's a fragmentation. And I don't think an American or a Brit is is even thinking about Africa in the way that we we think um, we would like them to. There is a very very narrow minded sense of yourself in in a lot of these places at the moment, and I don't know if it's like that here at home. I have been away for eight years, but there is a, a short sightedness and a fragmentation in terms of your experience within a community. And that is playing out politically. It's playing out socially. And that is why it's such an interesting time in the 21st century. But I think there is a, there is a distance and a disconnectedness from, from ourselves. And that is why weak leaders like Donald Trump or Putin are, are so able to pick up on that, um, that, that sense of, Unsure, unsureness mm. about community. I, I had a very interesting chat to Lester Kivitz this week, and I, I called that phenomenon that you've mentioned now, I've called it uh, in the absence of. Mm. So in the absence of very strong leaders and in the absence of very strong, you know, um, in the absence, let's say, for instance, in the absence of, 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 of a good transport system, you're going to, you're going to, a good public transport system, you're going to have more congestion on the roads. So in the absence of that, you will find uh, uh, Putin and Trump, but they will use those opportunities and actually get there. What were the highlights? I know asking you, uh, like, what is what is the highlight? You can probably sit here and chat to me until tomorrow. But what were the highlights for you in your career? Oh, it's a good question. Those early days of Mandela, because I was there watching him and I got so much out of it. Um, I found, I like being surprised. And that's one of the reasons I left CNN was I just looked ahead at the months and weeks ahead and the days. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be doing the same thing over and over again. I was a bearer of bad news, a, a doom mongerer, trying to sort of figure out how to tell the world this constant negative news. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So the same thing happens when you look back at your career and you know that the people who made you laugh or the people who gave you real insight, the people who surprised you, and one of those was George W. Bush. I I interviewed him in Zambia and I didn't agree with his politics, but at the same time, he was the most warm, genuine, funny guy. And we spoke we off, off camera for hours. And he just had a real sense of himself that was infectious and, and, and genuine. And, I, and I, I really respect him now, particularly the way he left power. He left and he started painting. And that's what we were talking about, how he was painting his mama's dogs <laughs> and, and a variety of other things. But it was just an interesting sense of, of, of watching somebody who had power and then chose to walk away compared to say Donald Trump. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's always the problem when you, when you have leaders who just hang on to the power mm. for the sake of hanging on to the power. They got enough money, uh, but they need to hang on to the power, which is the most important thing. Um, 
Uh, off the WhatsApp line, 0725671567. Hi, Robin, born in Australia. How come South African? Um, that's a very good, very good question. Um, my grandfather was a Springbok cricketer. Uh-huh. Sid Kerner, he played for, he was an opening batsman, left-hander. And so he went off in the 1930 test matches against Australia to, with the South African team and played against Donald Bradman. Um, this is the year before the Bodyline series. And he actually loved Perth and he hated the politics even then as, as the years went by, particularly after, um, 1948 and hated the politics. So he was one, I think, one of the few early people <laughs> who packed for Perth. And then, of course, like all South Africans, you get there and you realize, hold on, this isn't home. Mm. I can't, I, there are no Pitmafros here. There, there are no Hardy Dars. There, there, there's, <laughs> there's no, no really good samosas and biltong. Yeah. Exactly. And then you come back home. So my grandfather actually moved the family backwards and forwards, um, between Perth and Joburg, and during one of those brief moments, um, I was born in, in Australia, but we were back within, I think, 18 months. So I, I think we're, um, yeah, I mean, I'm fourth, fifth generation Joburger. There we go. So that hopefully answers your question, Robin, uh, born in Australia and how come South African? Do we, as as journalists, because I work in the EWN news desk, and uh, you know, do we, as as journalists, and and yourself as a journalist, um, do you look at it and say to yourself, "I'm glad I made a contribution. I'm glad I, I made some kind of change somewhere by telling that narrative." Yeah, definitely. And I think when I realised that that contribution um, was now being diluted by polarisation and by political hopelessness. That's why I decided to leave because I am idealistic in the sense that, you know, being the messenger should create some sort of bridge to differences. At the moment, the media in the U.S., and I'm talking here about the media landscape in the U.S., is very much uh, toxic. It amplifies polarization and it's directionless on many levels. They don't know how to deal with what is coming. Streaming ad revenues down, uh, ratings are down, people don't want to watch. And I think what also struck me so much, and again, one of the reasons why I decided to leave was the sense that everybody wants to tell their truth, but truth has now been turned into victimhood. Mm. And Everybody's shouting what appears to be their truth, but really it's about shouting their victimhood. Then you become complicit in it by listening to it. And that, to me, is what is so difficult at the moment because it's about shared exclusion. And I, and I do think the media amplifies that or doesn't ask the right questions. And we've lost the ability, at least in the States, uh, and the Trump presidency, again, amplified that, lost the ability to laugh, not only at ourselves, but at other people. And there was something desperately humorless about the Trump presidency. You can talk about all of it, but there was a real dearth of humor. And Amos Oz, who is an Israeli writer, and he was writing about the Palestinians and the Israelis and that conflict, and he talked about how to tame an extremist. And it was a very interesting debate because he came up with the thing that extremists on both sides um, have one shared thing. And that's they lack a sense of humor. Um, and to me, when you look at America now, the political polarization, the extremists have taken hold of this conversation with their victimhood on each side. And it is really important that you look at America right now and you see how utterly humorless the extremists on the left and the extremists on the right who are holding uh, the, the political landscape captive in many ways. There, there is no lightness and no self-awareness in the ability to laugh at yourself. And I think that's where South Africa is so different, is that 
by goodness, we have this amazing ability, despite everything, to, to see within ourselves the absurdity of life or the absurdity of, of what's happening. And, and that I've, I've, I've decided is the key, um, mm. to, to how you move on. And, and, and news can still be light. And yeah. when, when you become a doom mongerer every day, sharing what is the most scariest thing I can say to you, the, 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 the most desperately awful thing, that becomes, that becomes exhausting. And I decided I just didn't want to do it anymore. Chatting to Robin Kerner this morning, and you can join the conversation. There's a question I'm going to ask you that's actually coming from Corin in Glen Ken. I, I watched um, this particular YouTube video, but um, let, let's deal with this. Is um, Velasi from Pretoria actually mm-hmm. listening to us this morning? Two years ago, I remember Robin's former colleague, Richard Quest, said of South Africa at the Davos that South Africa was uh, a, a something of a failed prospect as a South African. What did you think of the international perspective of our country today? Because in the 90s, uh, the Mandela years, we were uh, beloved, but um, we, don't, we don't feel that anymore. But as you said, um, you know, the international world is thinking about itself yeah. for, uh, rather than, than, than thinking about us. And we thinking about what is the international world thinking about us? And I don't think that, again, it's like something a mother would tell their child. You know, don't worry about what other people think about you. Mm. Just make sure within yourself and within your small community you are happy, that you are offering hope, and that you are kind and generous to the to the people around you. I think there shouldn't be a concern about how the international community perceives us because it's about how we perceive ourselves. And that, to me, comes from a confidence and a sense of looking forward and hope and optimism. And yes, I haven't been here through the darkest days of, of load shedding and everything, but I, 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 I truly believe that if South Africans can look inward in the sense that you can make a difference within your immediate future within your immediate day that creates a hopefulness and and an ability to know that you can affect change if you're worrying about you know what what the americans think of um i don't know uh, the tourist opportunities here i i think it's i think it's the wrong way i think you've got to turn it inside out it's mm. come, it needs to come from a self-confidence within ourselves a couple of more whatsapps coming off uh, the line this morning on 0725671567 tell that lady she's made a good move cnn is the most biased news channel on the planet and i have heard that a lot and i will get um people saying it is the most non-biased and Mm. fox news is the biased most biased and i think that's exactly the problem as i said to you is that the media has generally and i'm not saying cnn got really and, and particularly during the trump the trump years got totally caught up in this sense of um polarization and I didn't want to be the meat in that sandwich anymore. And it is about trying to trying to be in a place or a, a powerful place. You're broadcasting to a million people where if you're authentic and, and you have a sense of okayness about the way you're telling the story, then I was able to sort of ring fence myself from some of the more polarizing conversations and debates that were on CNN, particularly during the, the Trump times. Um, but it got, it got exhausting. I'll be honest with you. And mm. it is something that the U.S. media needs to figure out. Coming off the WhatsApp line also on 0725671567, just had a brilliant breakthrough because of your current speaker. When you start losing your sense of humor, you know you are sliding into something dark. Thank you. 
please report her name <laughs> at some point. It's Robin Kerno, and Robin Kerno is chatting to us about life after CNN and and her experiences um, at at CNN itself, and and chatting to us about what she does now. Uh, one of the questions that came off the WhatsApp line, and mm. I watched this this morning, where you you tell your story about dyslexia and how yeah. you actually discovered your dyslexia mm. through your child. I did. I'm dyslexic, um, and I think being a television news reporter um, is the perfect job for someone who struggles to spell very well because I would ad lib all the time. I'm really, really good at breaking news. <laughs> Give me no script and, and some information or being in somewhere, and I can roll with it because it, in learning about dyslexia from my child who was diagnosed in America, and then they said, well, one of you, one of her parents is dyslexic, and I was like, oh, yeah, that'll be me. I, I struggled through school. I, I basically failed grade two. Um, I didn't do very well, um, but I was resilient. And the beautiful thing about being dyslexic, which I think has also made me a really good journalist, is that you have to find an alternative way to get to the same place everybody else is. So this is also about reading, writing, being um, being connected to what is happening in the class. So you become very good. You become a bit like a street fighter in, in trying to get to the same point as Survival everybody else. Technique, and basically. this is so, as we know, you know, there's something that, and I said, you know, there's resilience in South Africans, but if you're a dyslexic South African, boy, oh boy, I mean, you can conquer the world. <laughs> <laughs> Chatting to Robin Kerner this morning, uh, anchor Robin Kerner on Life After CNN. Say so you resigned. Yeah. You said, this is it. Yeah. I have, um, this is news fatigue. And I think mm. a lot of us in, in, in the newsroom suffer from some what is known as news fatigue. One of the colleagues said uh, to me last year, she said, I, I can't take this anymore. I need a break. And sometimes you need to walk away from it for a day or two. Um, you know, um, just, just basically get away from, mm. from what is negative, put the phone down, just not worry about things. And then, you know, just grasp your life and get your life. So you've resigned uh, and you said, what was the next morning like? It was a slow process. Mm. And I think it was very important to me. I know a lot of people are on TV just because they get a kick out of being on TV or well-known or, you know, that adrenaline of actually being known. I'm not like that. I feel like I was a journalist. So that to me was the most important. So my journalism underpins my identity, not the fact that I was on TV. Um, and that made it easier for me because I didn't have to, a, a huge shift between sort of suddenly being on air one day and, and reporting to a billion people and then suddenly sitting at home mm. in my pajama pants, you know. So it was a slow move. It was, it was a deliberate move. And I think, you know, there are a lot of books at the moment, particularly after COVID, um, about the great resignation, which I think I might have been part of, about when to quit, the right time. And there's something very sweet, very, very sweet about walking away, quitting at the very top of your career. I had a show on, the, on CNN International and my show was also then broadcast on American TV, sort of um, late prime time on the West Coast particularly. I've won every award that I wanted to win and it is very sweet knowing I, I did it. I, there's nothing else I wanted to do. I could have kept on doing the same thing for the next 10 years. But that's also not me. Like I said, I want to be surprised by my day. I want to be involved in something that is more positive. Um, and, and I just also didn't want to have to report on another American election. <laughs> I looked ahead. I was like, I cannot do it again. Mm. And, 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 it, and, and it's all about, I mean, and, and I often have this about not forgetting the you in you. Yeah. 
I think that's the key thing. Uh, and that's when you know this is the correct decision. Because sometimes when you, when you make, when you do that and you make the correct decision for yourself, you're making the correct decision for everybody around you. Exactly. Tell us about the book you're writing. Yes. So that's, that's what I'm really excited about. And I wanted to do that. So when I left, I knew I wasn't, you know, going to be going around. I don't know if I will go back into journalism. Let's see how it all, it all pans out. I think it's very directionless and a mess and toxic, uh, the media industry at the moment, uh, in, in the state. So the book, so excited. It is got nothing to do with anything except for the fact my internal knowledge of geopolitics and the fact that I'm a South African. It's based here in South Africa. It's basically a skittendorner. It's a spy <laughs> novel. I've had such fun writing it. I've just been in Hrafrenet, uh, where some of it is, is, is set. And again, the rich history of a place, a tiny little place like Hrafrenet is just amazing. So, um, I, and it's hopefully going to be part of a series and hopefully a movie one day. So let's, let's, let's have me back in a, you know, in a year or so yes. and we will talk about that oh, and no, I'll give definitely. you more details. Yes. Where to from here? Uh, what, what have you been doing? If you've just been relaxing, you, you'd be a great mentor in, in, in a newsroom, for instance. Yeah. I, I think you'd be an incredible teacher because what we lack in, in, in radio and in journalism these days is the actual teaching. I always say that there are people who can teach you how to compile a news bulletin. There can people teach you how to write a news bulletin. But how to own a news bulletin mm. and how to make that your own is, is something that somebody needs to teach you. I don't know. I think I learned that. I never, I've got three university degrees. I've got a master's degree from Cambridge and all of my university degrees are in politics or English or international relations. I have never been taught how to be a journalist. I've learned it on the job. The cameraman in the SABC would explain things to me. I, I, I was lucky enough to have Alistair Sparks uh, as my editor in the SABC for one very great year, and he always kept in touch with me. Um, that was huge. And again, in, 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 the, in the U.S., I have had um, I've had experiences which allowed me to grow from them. I don't think women in the media, I agree with you, are nurtured, particularly by other women. I think there is a sense of um, competition that is, again, toxic. So I have made an effort, particularly in the States, where these kids come out of university with journalism degrees and they really just don't understand empathy and listening and telling a story from your perspective but with that is grounded in truth, not victimhood, truth. And, you know, I don't think it's that hard to be a journalist if you are empathetic and you listen. It's, it's not that hard. Mm. I think that's the key thing is with, with journalism is to listen mm. more than actually, uh, you know, make up your mind and go in there with preconceived ideas. Uh, it seems like your password, you found your password for Twitter because we've got Des from Liberia here. Uh, can you please ask your guest how much influence did her CNN editors have on her content, uh, what she told to encourage certain biases? Um, I think the See, see, there is a there is an editorial meeting in the morning in CNN, mostly coming from conversations from New York and then in Atlanta and then all the the bureau chiefs around the world. It is a conversation. Um, I when I am on air, like I said, I try to ring fence myself. So when I have a bulletin, there is that the main story of the day, you know, Ukraine or Afghanistan or Syria or ISIS or a terror attack or all those things that you know I've covered. There's there's the news of the day. And then when you do an interview, whether it's off the back of that or whether it's about something else, I was completely free 
to to have that conversation without anybody saying you should ask this or you should not ask this. Um, I I had free independence and it was not a um, a sort of a top down. You must ask this question. You must say that. Mm. Coming off the WhatsApp line on 0725671567, Eddie says it's wonderful to see that you don't that you don't have an American accent, which is which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I still I still plot it all. I wonder how much Afrikaans you still remember. Well, it it is nice hearing Afrikaans. I yeah. must say, it's such a wonderful um, language. Also off the WhatsApp line, uh, another message coming in saying we always loved watching Robin and we missed her. So oh, a number of you. people have missed you. So uh, you you're not going back to the the monitor and uh, the we'll TV see. cameras. I mean, and, and this is the beauty, you know, I think again, um, what, what, what does women want? What does a human want? They want choice. So I, I am choosing still. I would like to get involved with more things here in South Africa. I don't know what yet. There are a few opportunities. I'd very much like to be part, spend more time here, um, be more, you know, grounded here. Um, but I have choice and that is Fantastic. <laughs> Robin Kerno anchor, Robin Kerno on Life After CNN chatting to us this morning. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for making the time to come into studio to chat to us. Uh, I know we are going to uh, chat a lot more, uh, not only about news, but uh, I, I think, you know, as a, as a journalist, you always itch for something. So mm-hmm. you, you're always, you'll always be writing a book or you'll always be telling a story yeah, somewhere. Definitely. And that's the important thing. But you'll be telling the story because you have the choice to tell yes. the story and yeah. not uh, not uh, saying, uh, you know, this is what I'm being told to tell. So 0214460567, if you'd love to join the conversation and on the WhatsApp line on 